Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! So welcome to episode 24 of the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lobel, flying solo again. Todd is taking care of some family things, and it is currently 9.58 p.m. Central Standard Time. I thought it would be a bad idea to ask Peter to stay up and uh, do a podcast at four in the morning. So I am flying solo today. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. Our online raffle for the Packer shoes is up to, I think, $172. If you are listening to this and you want to donate to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, we are going to cap that number at 250 so if you donate a dollar or buy a raffle ticket for one dollar, you would still have a one in 250 chance. If you donated five dollars, you would have a one in 50 chance of winning the Packer shoes. So if you're thinking about it, please look at our Twitter feed and find that. I will put that up tomorrow morning right as I am putting this episode up. If you'd like to donate, we'd certainly appreciate it. A shout out to our 450-something Twitter followers. We appreciate all of you. Thanks to Andy at thirdeyegraphics.net. So here we go. Week 13, Packers 30, Eagles 16. Like Peter and I talked about on the previous episode, we really didn't think this would be a close game, and it really wasn't. There was really no doubt that the Packers were going to win this game and win handily. They did give us a scare for a minute after that second half. When Jalen Reger ran that punt back for a touchdown, it started to look a little shaky again. Jalen Hurts seemed to give the Eagles a little bit of, you know, shot in the arm type stuff that they weren't getting from Carson Wentz, who was really bad in this game. I mean, it was, I don't know. There was that moment of trepidation, I guess, late. But I really didn't feel like the Packers couldn't go down and score when they needed to. And Aaron Jones slammed the door shut with that nice run, which I'll talk about later. A lot of highlights in this game, as you can imagine. The biggest one, of course, is Aaron Rodgers breaking the 400 touchdown barrier for his career. Last week, he went over 50,000 yards. And this week, over 400 touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers is a bad man as Steven Smith says. He is the quickest to 400 touchdowns with 193 games played. Drew Brees had the record. He topped 400 touchdowns in 205 games. So essentially, Aaron Rodgers did it almost a season quicker than Drew Brees, who I believe is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Of course, our Aaron Rodgers is also a first ballot Hall of Famer. Devontae Adams was Devontae Adams in this game. The man is the best receiver in all of football. It's easy for me to say that, of course, as a Packer fan, 
But the things that he does to get open, you don't see from a lot of guys. He, his footwork is just absolutely incredible. This isn't against some scrub, right? The Packers were playing the Eagles. Darius Slay was on the other side. It wasn't rookie Jeff Okuda or rookie Cam Dantzler or any scrub. This was a great player that Adams just toyed with basically the entire game. Adams had 10 catches for 121 yards and two touchdowns in this game. It would be interesting to see if Adams would have played the entire season, how crazy his numbers would have been. I was talking to someone the other day about who are the best Packer wide receivers of all time. Now, if you're a Packer historian like Peter is, he'll tell you Don Hudson. And Don Hudson was Jerry Rice before Jerry Rice, 50 years or 40 years before Jerry Rice. But Don Hudson was a man amongst boys, right? He was a trendsetter. That's not the right word. But he was a great wide receiver in a time where they didn't throw the ball that much. So there's Don Hudson, maybe James Lofton, Hall of Famer. And then there's been great ones. Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings was good. James Jones was a good player. Donald Driver was a great player and a great guy. Where does Adams stack up? Where does he go in the pantheon of Packer wide receivers? I would say right now, it's got to go Don Hudson, James Lofton, and Devontae Adams. I think he is the third best wide receiver in Packer history. Feel free to disagree with that. If you'd like to send us a message, you can go to anchor.fm slash average cheese and leave us a message. You can always disagree. I'd love to hear from you. Even you, Mike Romtosa, who keeps telling me that he's going to jump on the show at some point. Other positives in this game, other highlights, Aaron Jones with a huge run at the end of that game. Aaron Jones had, I don't know, okay statistics going into that last run. He ended up with 15 carries, 130 yards, and an absolute dagger, as Wayne Larravee would say, to just ice that game away. That was a big play when the Packers were sort of reeling. Aaron Jones had a nice game. The defense, and again, they're playing the Eagles, and the Eagles' offensive line is just complete garbage. But when you have seven sacks in a game, I don't care if you're playing a high school team. Kiki had two sacks. Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary each had a sack and a half. And our best friend Dean Lowry had a sack in this game. You can no longer say that Dean Lowry is sackless. Although I might. Also, Darnell Savage is starting to figure it out. He did have a great pick off of a pressured pass. I said it in the, end, uh, in the beginning of the season, Darnell Savage needs to be a player. I really think he's got all the tools to be a great free safety in this league, and now he's starting to figure it out. He's starting to play free, starting to play fast, and he's catching the ball. Last year, he tied for the league lead in drop picks, but he's hanging on, and that was a great catch. There were some notable injuries. Billy Wynn has gone on IR, and I've fanboyed Billy Wynn. I thought he would do something with the Packers, and he's had some very productive snaps. He's knocked down a bunch of balls. He's only played in, I don't know, maybe 
20% of the snaps, but he's made plays. Uh, he has a tricep injury. It's not going to require surgery. So maybe the three weeks that he spends on IR are the only three weeks he misses, and he's back somewhat healthy for a playoff run. More serious, uh, Tyler Irvin, his foot injury may have ended his season. I wonder if Tyler Irvin didn't come out and play in this game. Like, let's see what you got, Tyler. We just picked up Tavon Austin off of the shit heap. And, you know, can you play? Can you go? Can you still be effective with that injury? And they shut him down. And Tyler Irvin is a very dynamic player, as we've talked about. I worry that Tavon Austin can't take his offensive snaps although I do think that he can take the kick returns and the punt returns, and we can't honestly get any worse, and I'll talk about that later. Tyler Irvin went on IR. A lot of the things I've read have said that Tyler Irvin is probably finished for the season, so big loss. The Packers also put Raven Green on IR with a shoulder injury, and this, I think, is a huge loss. Going into the season, you wouldn't think, you know, Raven Green missing a couple games is a loss, but I think it is. I don't think there is another Packer on the roster that has the same skill set as Raven Green. No one certainly has the body that Raven Green does. He has played a ton of snaps in that heavy dime or whatever they call it, heavy nickel where he's lining up next to Christian Kirksey and playing linebacker. I'm not sure that you can put Adrian Amos there and have him do the same things. He is good near the line of scrimmage, but he's not going to shed a block like Kirksey, Kamal Martin, or even Raven Green. I'm not sure that anyone they put there can do that job. So I think that's a big loss, especially when they play passing teams. And we'll talk about the we. I'll talk about this later. The Lions, I think, are primarily a passing team. And you're going to play some nickel. And having Raven Green not in the game is going to hurt. Going back to Billy Wynn's injury for just a second, I wonder if they'll bring up Anthony Rush and see what he can do. That mountain of a man, 6'5", 360 pounds. I mean, you sign that man off the practice squad, you put him on your roster, and you see what he can do. The Packers have almost clinched, and I'll talk about that later. I don't know what harm it can do to give guys like Anthony Rush a shot. Put him in the game, see if he can stuff the run, just like we asked Billy Wynn to do, and see what he can do. Talked about Aaron Rodgers and his 400 touchdowns. We are very spoiled to have the quarterbacks that we've had. If you've been a fan since 1993 you have never seen well that's not true Dale you've seen Brett Hundley play quarterback and that's awful so let me back that up let me back up a little bit you have had Brett Favre first ballot hall of famer and Aaron Rodgers first ballot hall of famer as your starting quarterback for the majority of your viewing life if you just started watching in the 90s. Again, yes, Brett Hundley was absolutely awful. You had to suffer through that for a couple of games for one season. 
but you didn't have to watch Randy Wright, David Whitehurst, a bunch of bad guys, Anthony Dillwig. God, there's so many. Anyway, we're, we're just blessed to have Aaron Rodgers as our quarterback. Aaron Rodgers was 25 for 34, 295 yards, three touchdowns, 120 point, no, 128.6 passer rating. I did see that Patrick Mahomes has now passed Aaron Rodgers for quarterback rating in a career because he now has enough throws to qualify him for the stat. But let's see what you do, Patrick, after 13 seasons and see if you're still there. He might be a great player, but Aaron Rodgers in his 103 or whatever quarterback rating for a career over 13 years is unbelievable. My buddy Bob Tanyan had another decent game. Four catches, 39 yards, and a touchdown. He inches forward closer and closer to Packer records. He'd really need a pretty big breakout game to pass Jermichael Finley for the season catch record or to catch Paul Kaufman for the touchdowns record. But he's in range. And if you would ask most Packer fans, including myself, if Bob Tanyan was going to be the Packer record holder for touchdowns and catches in a season, I don't think anybody was there. I certainly wasn't. You saw a little bit of flash with Bob Tanyan. Again, I'm not calling him Tanyan. We live in Wisconsin. Bob Tanyan is far better than anyone could have imagined. If he can keep moving at this trajectory, he's got he, he's something. Him training with George Kittle who must train like a maniac also, that's huge. Train with the best to be the best. Bob Tanyan with another decent game. For a lot of this game, and I feel like this is a good thing, I felt like the Packers were on cruise control. I just felt like they could have turned it on at any moment, but because they were playing Philadelphia, who was not playing well, they kind of throttled back. While I don't think that's a great thing during the regular season, because They've got Detroit. They've got Carolina, who's reeling. Like, they've got some teams on the schedule. they got to play Chicago again, who is really, really bad, who may be without a coach at some point and have an interim guy maybe when the Packers play them. But they have a bunch of games minus the Tennessee game with bad teams. You could slip up because you're playing down to competition. But again, I just thought the offense was on cruise control. I felt like they could have done whatever they wanted. The Packers lead the league in points per game. Which, while I thought the Packers' offense would be better going into 2020 with their second season under Matt LaFleur, I don't think I thought they would be this good. And I certainly didn't think the offensive line would be this good. I really think that while... Rodgers' comfortability in this offense is a big part of why they are better than expected. I'd say that the offensive line, especially considering Lane Taylor has been out the entire season, Corey Lindsley is now missing significant time, Bakhtiari missed time, with all of those things going on, to still have the great season that the offensive line has had, is a testament, one, to those guys in the room doing the work. Lucas Patrick moving around and doing whatever is needed. Runyon coming in. Elton Jenkins, who has to be the most versatile lineman in all of football. 
Billy Turner wasn't a tackle, is now playing tackle again or guard, depending on what they need him to do. But they've all been extremely good. The other thing is the Packers are dynamite in the red zone. They lead the league, or I think they're tied in the, the league lead for red zone percentage. They get in the end zone. They get in the red zone, and they get in the end zone. The Packers have been great once they get down there. They score almost all the time. And I think they're scoring touchdowns at like a 75% clip or something like that. There were a couple bad things. So I'll talk about the negative a little bit. And I tend to nitpick on little things because, again, you score 30 points. That's pretty good. Even in today's NFL where a lot of teams are scoring points. The one big one, if you take away the long run by Aaron Jones, which was a crazy good run, the Packers blocking on that play was pretty awesome other than that big run though the Packers team ran 24 times for 74 yards that's a really low average 3.2 3.1 per carry and that's not great that's not going to get it done I mean maybe it, it I know you were a throwing offense but you need to keep teams honest while that great run by Aaron Jones did up their average quite a bit if he doesn't do that at the end, it looks like a bad rushing day. For the second week in a row, MVS did not catch a ball. I worry about his mental state, and I also worry that he has hands of stone. Aaron Rodgers dropped the ball right in his hands, and again, MVS tried to catch it with his arms. He is a body catcher. That's a problem. I mean, yes, he's... A great deep threat, but you got to catch those fucking balls, dude. You aren't paid to be a good dude. You aren't paid to run down the field and stretch the offense. You're paid to run down the field and catch the ball that is right in your fucking hands. That's your job. That's what you get paid for, son. You got to make those plays. Going down the stretch and into the playoffs, okay, MVS, you're not going to change the way you catch the football throw some damn stick up onto your arms or something. And when it's caught, run with it, please. You got to be better. We need you to be better. On a similar note, I did see that Devin Funches is all of a sudden active on social media saying that he wants to come back and play next year, and he's very excited to see what, you know, what happens to him. And I'll just say this, Devin, we're fucking excited too because you can't be worse, can you? God, can you catch the football when it's thrown to you? I know you're not a deep threat, and you're basically going to be another Alan Lazard, but you can't be worse, I hope, because you're making a lot more money than MVS, too, and you need to be a player. So, I don't know. I hope Devin Funches is great. I really thought he was going to break out. He's just going to be a year older. When they cut MVS, though, are they going to draft a speed guy, someone that can run? God, I hope so. Anyway, where was I? The offensive line, this is nitpicking for sure, gave up two sacks, one of them by former Badger T.J. Edwards. I mean, Rodgers was able to evade, too. I thought there were a couple times where he was pressured that was, you know, offensive line issues. But again, two sacks. In this game, even though I said before that the Packers were pretty much on cruise control, they weren't as efficient on third down as they have been in the past. They only converted five of 12 third down plays, which is 
generally not what the Packers do. They've been much higher in, in most games this season. And another thing, Mason Crosby has been lights out on field goals, but he's missed two extra points, which is a 35-yard field goal. I did see that on one of them, they lined him up on the right hash. Usually, you know, it's straight down the middle. They kick it from there. And maybe it was something in this game, but they lined him up on the right hash, and he made the last one. So it is what it is. Talk about the defense a little bit. The Packers had seven sacks in this game. And they also had constant pressure on Wentz and on Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a little bit more nifty in the pocket. He's not a running quarterback, though. After watching him play in this game, he's not going to be Lamar. He's not going to be... He's not going to even be Russell Wilson, really. He has decent feet, but he's not going to run with the football. I think that he is just going to be a pocket passer with really good feet in the pocket. But anyway, they had pressure on both him and Wentz. Wentz was like 5 for 19 or 6 for 19 in this game. So the Packers really played the pass well. The defensive line looks like it's starting to figure things out. I did see on social media that Kiki... Zadarius Smith and Gary went to Patton and asked him to be a little bit more straightforward. Like, let's just make it simple. Let's rush the passer. And whatever it is, I'm here for it. Because if you can get seven sacks in any game, especially when it's big in the playoffs, you're going to win those games. Yeah, Wentz, looking it up now, Wentz was 6 for 15 for 79 yards. He was sacked four times. Jalen Hurts was 5 for 12 for 109 yards for in a touchdown. He was intercepted once and was sacked three times. There were just moments of dominance. Not like Reggie White throwing the tackle with one arm dominance, but the, the pocket seemed to be collapsing almost immediately in this game. It just seemed like the Packers were rolling and they knew what was coming, almost like they were calling the plays and the Packers like, okay, that's what you're going to do? Here we come. And I know that they were down in this game and they had to throw the ball more than they, they were able to run it. It is what it is. Packers played well. They also were good against the run. And again, you were ahead in this game, but so what? Miles Sanders, 10 carries, 31 yards. Jordan Howard, 4 carries, 19 yards. Those are your two running backs for the Eagles combined, 14 for 50. I'll take that all day. Less than four yards of carry. And no big run. No 57-yard run by David Montgomery. What I've at we, Todd, Peter, and I have always asked is to contain the run. And that's every week. So I won't say that this week. I will not say in our keys against the Lions, the Packers need to stop the run. They produced another turnover. Like I said, Darnell, Darnell Savage with a pick, which was huge. And the other thing, I'm going to beat up on the special teams in a minute, but J.K. Scott averaged 48.5 yards per kick in this game. He's been pretty bad most of the season, but this was a good game for him. Granted, I don't want to say he'll kick the coverage, but when he's booming balls, the Packers are struggling to find guys that can get down the field quick enough to cover punts. And that's something they're going to have to clean up for sure. How about the bad? Although they stopped the run very effectively, it didn't come from Christian Kirksey. I know that I tend to load up on guys, MVS, Lowry, Lancaster, and I keep picking on them when they're not playing well. 
But Peter said it well in one of our episodes. He said, the value is what you care about. So if Christian Kirksey was making $600,000 a year, a million, million and a half, two million, whatever it is, then his seven really not important tackles in this game are a great thing. I mean, if you look at Chris Barnes and you know that you pulled him off the shit heap and he's making plays, that's a different barometer. You know, that's a different measuring stick. Christian Kirksey is getting a decent salary and the Packers need him to be great because he's making that $6 million. And again, I think he'll be cut. There's still room. There's still time for him to be great. You know, and if he comes up big in the playoffs, I'll forget that he didn't play well in this game and the game before and the game before that. But come March, when I'm talking about guys who should be cut, Christian Kersey, cut. So we, <laughs> Todd and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the punt return against Jacksonville. In this game, again, punt return for a touchdown. In 2020, there have been four punt return touchdowns in the entire league. The Packers have given up half of those. That's a problem. It looks like teams are able to get a wall and their punt returner just runs down the sideline. I don't know if that's by design, what the Packers are doing. I mean, clearly it's by design by the punt return team, right? They're trying to get that wall so they can have their punt return and run down the sideline. But is it scheme on the Packers' end that is allowing that to happen? Because two punt returns against you for touchdowns is a problem. Now, in the 90s and when there was depth on teams, you could play really good players on your punt and your kickoff return teams and your coverage teams. And I get it. There isn't a lot of depth. You look for guys that are linebackers or free safeties or whatever it is to run down and be the gunner or to be that guy tackling on punt return. The Packers have tried out a bunch of guys at that gunner position. You have to be not only fast, but you got to be tough too. And I don't know. They just keep trying to find that and trying to find that guy. And they need to figure something out because that's a game changer. It happened to you against Jacksonville, who blows, and against the Eagles, who also suck ass. So those are two bad teams that were able to run it back. You don't need New Orleans or Seattle or whoever you play in the playoffs running a punt back for a touchdown and changing the momentum in a game. That can't happen. Something has to get fixed. And continuing on with the special teams thing, the Packers right now are 29th in the league in punt and kick returns. When you combine them together, the Packers are 29th. And if you're just talking about kick returns, only the complete defeated Jets have less kick return yards than the Green Bay Packers. Your 9-3 and three Green Bay Packers are averaging 18 yards per kick return. The Jets have 18.6. Tavon Austin has to play in this game. Or you need to – I mean, why, I've seen what's happened, and you have too if you're watching Packer games. They no longer blast it through the end zone against the Packers. They kick it up high, and they make the Packers return the kick. 
because they know that it's going to end up in better field position than if they just blasted through the end zone. They don't want the Packers at the 25, so they kick it to somebody and they just force the Packers to return it. That's a problem, too. A couple of miscellaneous observations about the Packers and just the league in general. I know I beat up on you, MVS, but right now, and you're, you are leading the league, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is leading the league in yards per reception. Shit, if you'd have caught that ball last week for 40 yards or 45 yards or whatever it is, your average would be even higher, fool. But yeah, so good for him. On your next team, wherever that's going to be, they might give you a little bit more money. If the Packers win this week and the Vikings lose, the Packers will clinch the NFC North. I don't think that's going to happen this week. I do think the Packers are going to win. I'll talk about that later. But the Vikings are playing relatively well, even though they had to squeak one out against Jacksonville last week. Again, shout out to Doug Marone. Uh, Those dudes play hard in Jacksonville. Maybe if you get some talent there, you might actually win some games. This is not Packer-related, but the MVP, I guess it is. Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes are now the only two candidates left in the MVP race. Seattle somehow lost to the New York football giants last week. Russell Wilson has now played his way out of the MVP conversation. That's a really bad loss for Seattle. I didn't see it coming. I mean, if you, were able, if you bet against the Seattle Seahawks in this game, Against the Giants, you're some sort of genius, and you can take me to Vegas. I'll give you some money to make us both cash. Also, sort of playoff-related. No, it's not. Fuck's sake. San Francisco had to play a game in Arizona because their county wouldn't allow them to play their home game in San Francisco. Related to that, I did see that the Packers will not have fans for the remaining home games this season. I was also reading on the internet that the New Jersey, New York area, New Jersey, New York area has had a large outbreak of COVID cases again. And it's possible that the Giants and the Jets are not going to be able to play their home games in their home stadium. From what I read, it looks like teams are going to have contingency plans including the Packers, I guess all teams have to have a contingency plan on like where they're going to play their games in case COVID cases force the counties to not allow games. Now, again, if the Packers don't have fans for the games, then I don't understand. I don't think that they would have to even worry about that. And maybe that's what the Packers are thinking, that if we just don't allow fans in the stands, that we won't have to worry about any of the COVID protocols. And finally, uh, props where props are due. Dalvin Cook, he missed one game, but he is leading the league in touchdowns. He's tied with Tyreek Hill with 14 touchdowns. He's got 13 rushing touchdowns, leading the league in yards per game rushing. He has been phenomenal. He has earned that money. He didn't even have to hold out for it. But Dalvin Cook has been a fucking monster the entire season. Good thing that the Lions, I'm the Lions. Good thing the Vikings have been bad in some games. And it's weird because Cousins hasn't been spectacularly bad in any game. Well, he 
he hasn't been spectacularly bad in a lot of games. But if him and Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson are having these great offensive seasons, it's just weird that they're barely 500 and trying to climb out of the cellar. Next up on the season schedule is the Detroit Lions. Three keys for this game. I promised I wouldn't say stop the run, so I won't, even though I just did. Start fast in this game. Start fast because with a new head coach, or the interim head coach, Daryl Bevel, former Wisconsin quarterback Daryl Bevel, if you believe in your coach and you want to play hard for him and the Lions get out to a big lead or even a a small lead early and stop the Packers, momentum might be on Detroit's side. It really felt like they hated Matt Patricia and they just didn't care to play for him. And if they like Darryl Bevel, if you don't start fast, you may be in a big hole that you can't come out of. And we've seen, for some reason, the Packers cannot come back when they're getting pushed around and getting punched in the mouth. So start fast. Key number two, make Matt Stafford nervous in the pocket. Matthew Stafford has nine interceptions, basically one per game, almost one per game. He is going to throw the ball to the wrong team a lot. We've talked about it before. It's what Matthew Stafford does. He had 400 yards last week, but he also had a pick, and that's something he does. I'm not sure if Kenny Galladay is going to play in this game. So it's Quintez, Cephas, and a bunch of dudes. Marvin, there's a bunch of dudes that you've never heard of catching the ball for Detroit. He may be back, Kenny Galladay, and that would be a big step for them. DeAndre Swift just came off of being hurt. He is back at practice, so that's a big deal. They have some offensive weapons. And Matthew Stafford, like we've said a million times, play him on your fantasy team this week because he's going to play well against the Packers. He always seems to. I don't know if he's going to throw for 400 yards with a beat-up receiving core, but he's going to throw for over 300. You can take that to the bank. And the third one, and this is a no-brainer too, but stop the special teams bleeding. You cannot be this bad both getting kicks and covering kicks. That can't be a thing. Got to fix that quickly. Hopefully this week there won't be any special teams issues. So, yeah, that's about it for me. Peter recorded a segment for us, and we will put that here. Thank you, Dale. So the Packers head to Detroit on Sunday for their second matchup with the Lions this season. Because the Packers won in week two. Big win for the Packers, 42-21, when they racked up nearly 500 yards of offense. The Packers lead the historical series 102-72-7 in a series that goes all the way back to 1930 when in fact the Detroit Lions were playing in Portsmouth. They were the Portsmouth Spartans. It's a series in which the Packers have historically led from that first game, as I mentioned, in 1930, all the way through to the the present day. If you look at it decade by decade, the Packers won the 1930s, 13-5-1, in the 1940s, 16-4. And in fact, in the 1940s, the Packers put together a 10-game winning streak. And it wasn't until the 1950s, really, that the Lions put together a winning streak of their own. In fact, they had an 11-game winning streak at the end of the 40s and into the 50s. But Packers, of course, bounced back in the Lombardi era. And other than the 1980s, the Packers have dominated this series ever, ever since. In fact, since 1990, the Packers are 43-20 and 20 
in this series, including a 10-game winning streak in the 2000s. So historically, one of those series where Packers have been ahead and we hopefully expect them to continue that for a long time. Now, there have been a number of big games in this series, as you would expect for a, for a, a series that goes back 90 years. So let's just cover off some of those games. We'll start by going all the way back to 1945 in a game in which the Packers actually trailed 7-0 at the end of the first quarter and then had a historic second quarter offensive output in which the Packers put 40 points on the board, which included 29 from the great Don Hudson. Hudson scored four touchdowns and five extra points in that quarter by himself. And that 29 points that he scored in that game, sorry, 29 points he scored in that quarter, is the most that any player before or since has ever scored in an NFL game in a single quarter. From being behind in that game 7-0, the Packers won it 57-21. One of the truly great performances in Packers history. And we move forward then to 1962, which is a game, Thanksgiving Day game, which is a game that, that most Packer fans won't want to remember in what was possibly the greatest of all Packers teams that went 13-1 and in 1962 and went on to win the NFL championship. Their one loss was that Thanksgiving Day game to Detroit in Detroit when Bart Starr was sacked 11 times. And it was a game that, to this day, the Lions refer to it as the Thanksgiving Day Massacre. It was the one blot, as I say, on that excellent 1962 season for the Packers. Fast forward to 1993 and the Packers and Lions met for the very first time in the playoffs in the wildcard round. It was Green Bay's first visit to the playoffs for 11 years since the strike year in, 80, in 82. And it was, a, it was a game full of huge plays. Played in the Pontiac Silverdome, Packers safety George Teague had a 101-yard interception return for a touchdown. But heading into the final minute of that game, the Packers trailed 24-21 as Favre started to move the team down the field. And with 55 seconds left to play, Favre rolled out to his left, threw back across his body and found Sterling Sharp in the right-hand corner of the end zone to win that game for the Packers 28-24. A huge play and the first Packers playoff victory, as I said, since that strike-shortened year of 1982. And then the following year, the teams met again in the playoffs, this time at Lambeau Field. In a defensive struggle, the Packers overcame the Lions 16-12. The big thing about that game was the Packers' defence held the Lions to minus four yards rushing and held Barry Sanders to minus one yard rushing. An incredible defensive performance. And those two playoff games that I've just talked about are the only two playoff games in the series. And forward to 2015... Packers down by 20 points in that game, coming back to win it 27-23 on Aaron Rodgers' incredible Hail Mary throw to Richard Rodgers on the last play of that game that we all all remember. And forward again to 2019. And really to say about 2019 is the fact that the Packers won both of the games in 2019, never having led until the final seconds or even beyond the final seconds of each of those games. Incre incredible. Been a number of players that have played for both teams, as you would expect in a series that's 90 years old. Ron Kramer, the great Packers tight end of the 60s, is one of the biggest names to have played for both teams. Played for the Packers in the early 60s and then was traded to Detroit, back home to Detroit in 64. And there's a couple of players on the Packers 
roster today. Rick Wagner, who was with Detroit last year, and the Packers tight end Bobby Tunyon, who was on the Lions practice squad before the Packers picked him up a couple of years ago. A couple of quarterbacks played for both teams. Don Mikowski, the magic man, finished his career in Detroit. And Tobin Rhodes, who was a great quarterback for the Packers in the 50s, was also a great quarterback for the Detroit Lions in the 50s. And in fact, he was the quarterback when the Lions won their last NFL championship, which is in 1957. So moving on to the present day, Aaron Rodgers has a great record against the Lions, 16 and 5, which includes a quarterback rating of nearly 105 or passer rating of nearly 105. And he has 43 touchdowns and just eight interceptions. And included in those numbers are nine 300-yard games. Um, the biggest one of those was a 442-yard passing day in 2018. Aaron Jones has one huge game against the Lions, which was earlier this year. He had 168 yards rushing in that Week 2 victory that we talked about. And Devontae Adams has one 100-yard game against Detroit, which was in 2018. So that's a little bit of a historical perspective on the Packers and Lions. And I'll hand you back to Dale. So that's it. Thanks for tuning in to episode 24. I hope it didn't suck too bad. Me flying solo again. Next week, we plan on having Peter on after a Packers win versus the Lions. Go Pack Go. Go.